guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing really good. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Before we get into the show this week, we are super excited to share with you a new podcast we know our listeners will love that is equal parts friendship, nostalgia, and research on unsolved stories. And that show is called Resolved Mysteries Podcast. Resolved Mysteries Podcast follows the 90s television show Unsolved Mysteries hosted by The Robert Stack and provides the most recent updates on each segment. The hosts are three friends who have a love for true crime, canned wine, and the unsolved. They cover stories that range from the very silly to the truly heartbreaking. Um, We talked about this before, but I totally remember the missing persons cases. I still can't even think about these things without getting like nightmares, but I love their show and it's so much fun. These three fiery women provide in-depth research that will leave you laughing, crying, and occasionally outraged. Resolved Mysteries podcast is available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite pods. Join them and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. Okay, so before we get into the episode, I think I just said that before we talked about Resolved Mysteries, but... Before. But before you meant before, before, before now you before. just mean slightly before. <laughs> yes. So before, before we actually get into the episode, we want to remind everybody to come see us at CrimeCon this year. We're going to be there June, what is it, 7th through 9th? Ooh, I don't even these know these are the things date. we should write down. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's, we've... I think those are, that's the right dates, right? 7th, 8th, and 9th is when CrimeCon is going on in New Orleans. So yeah, I don't know. Do they have a nickname for the city of New Orleans? See, I don't know that you're supposed to say it. NOLA is what I always see written, but I want to say New Orleans without the R, but I don't think that's right. And I don't think they like when you do that. (laughs) So I think it's better if we just say New Orleans and leave it at that. Yeah. So we will be there and you can come see us and you can also get 10% off your standard badge when you use our code M&M19. So that is and is spelled out. So M-A-N-D-M-19. So we cannot wait to see you guys there. So to start us off this week, we are going to tell you a little bit about 29 Palms, California. It is an isolated desert town that is home to Joshua Tree National Park and the Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center. The town is surrounded by the Mojave Desert and the Great California Outback. 29 Palms is not the most desirable military installation to be stationed at. Its blistering heat, isolation, and lack of things to do can really wear on the Marines and their families that are stationed there. It is commonly referred to by military members as 29 stumps, which is (laughs) what we have heard from a military person. And it is common for the young couples and families of the Marines to form tight bonds with those they associate with and live nearby forming new families while so very far from their own families. It is in this small desert town that one of these families was ripped apart and one of them ended up dead. Aaron and John Corwin were a very young married couple when they moved to 29 Palms in September of 2013. At 19 years old and just starting their lives together, they were quite naive about the struggles of a new marriage, moving very far away from family support, money troubles, and love itself. Aaron and John were from the small town of Oak Ridge, Tennessee, near Chattanooga. And this is where we have chosen to Google this city this week because there just isn't really much on 29 Palms beyond what I just said in the very beginning. So, Melissa, take it away. Okay, so we are Googling Oak Ridge, Tennessee. In Oak Ridge, Tennessee, the population was 29,330 as of the 2010 census. Actress Megan Fox was born in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, as well as Jennifer Azee, I hope I'm saying that right, who is a former basketball coach and American Olympian, and she is from Oak Ridge as well. There were a number of chemists and physicists, including Arnold Anderson, who was a chemical engineer for the Manhattan Project. The band The Georgia Clodhoppers were a huge commercial success, but you may not know them as The Georgia Clodhoppers. But if you're 100 years old like me, you may recognize them once they changed their name to the Oak Ridge Boys, based on the town they frequently performed in. No, I still don't know who that is. You've never even heard of the Oak Ridge Boys, Mandy? No. They're like old country singers. Mandy. No. I mean, I don't expect you to know their songs, but like in existence, you've never heard of them. No. This is truly troubling information (laughs) for me. (laughs) But like I said, I'm 100, so it doesn't really matter. Oak Ridge was actually established in 1942 as a production site for the Manhattan Project. And that was the massive American, British, and Canadian operation that actually developed the atomic bomb. So this whole city was actually created to make this the Manhattan Project, which I thought was pretty interesting. So while Oak Ridge may not be the big city, they really are quite literally the bomb. 
And that is all I have to say. <laughs> I'm never happy until I see you roll your eyes at me. <laughs> it is something. only too bad that the listeners cannot see me rolling my eyes as you would deliver these amazing lines to me. <laughs> I 100% believe other people are rolling their eyes, so it's okay. I can see it. Perfect. Erin was raised in a very loving home by her parents, Lore and Bill Hevelin. They were a very religious family with hearts as big as their faith. The Hevelins took in numerous foster children, even ones with special needs. Erin came to them as a foster child when she was just three weeks old. She was born July 15, 1994 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. When the Hevelins took in this teeny baby, it was love at first sight. Her mother, Lore, knew that Erin was meant to be a part of their family. She described Erin as the sweetest baby and very easy. She was a tiny little thing, only weighing 5 pounds and 12 ounces when they first brought her home at three weeks old. Oh, wow. They officially adopted Erin when she was three years old. She was a very shy child and was very wary of strangers, but as she got more familiar with people, she was very social and bubbly. Her mom actually said that it was often very hard to get her to stop talking when she was comfortable around people, which sounds an awful lot like me as a child and as an adult. Erin was homeschooled by her mother, but had numerous friends through her church and a local 4-H club. Erin had a tremendous love of animals, and she also had aspirations of becoming a veterinarian, but she would later learn that a job in veterinary practice was not necessarily going to be for her because she didn't like the idea of having to be the one to put an animal down. I can totally understand that. I couldn't do that either. Yeah. As a child, she took it upon herself to train and care for all the family pets, which was actually quite the menagerie. They had dogs, cats, guinea pigs, and rabbits. But one animal captured her heart above all the others, and that was horses. Linda calmly ran a horse barn not far from the Hevelin home. And Erin's mother, Lore, signed her up for the equestrian program there. Erin was truly in her element caring for and riding the horses. Linda was surprised when she bonded with a horse named Riley, who was a notoriously difficult and stubborn horse. But Erin and Riley gained confidence in each other and really became fast friends. Erin retained her shyness and wariness of strangers that she had as a young child into her teen years, but she eventually would warm up to the people who visited the barn regularly. She became very close to Linda Comley. They had what Linda described as grandma talks, talking about everything from riding horses to just life in general. Comley characterized Erin as a very sweet yet very naive girl. It was at this barn that she met Jonathan Wayne Corwin. He was a year older than Aaron and was described as a very reserved young man that tended to hold his feelings close to the chest. John was adventurous and tough, and this was evident with his love of the outdoors. He often went shooting and riding four-wheelers. In some ways, John and Aaron could not be more opposite. Due to their family's religious beliefs, Aaron wasn't allowed to date until she was 16. Funny story about this. I had the same rule when I was growing up, and I remember crying and begging my dad at like 12 years old to please let me date. At 12? I just was pissed off about the rule. It didn't really matter what it was. (laughs) I was angry. And so finally one day he goes, when a boy asks you out, we'll discuss it. And I had my first boyfriend at 19 years old. Sorry. Her parents were okay with a group of friends coming over to the house or for Aaron to go to another home, but she wasn't allowed to go in cars or be one-on-one with a boy until she was actually 16. On her 16th birthday, John asked Aaron's parents if he could date her, and Laura and Bill really liked John, so they agreed. It wasn't long before Aaron was head over heels for John. Her world revolved around him. Bill, Aaron's father, was enthusiastic about the relationship. Aaron's mother did worry that the relationship was moving too fast. Because of John's reserved nature, she felt that they really hadn't gotten to know him very well. They were so young at this point, and this was the first relationship that Aaron had ever been in. John and Aaron were similar in their upbringings, and the difference in John and Aaron's personality seemed to balance each other out beautifully. John and Aaron seemed to connect on an emotional level, and he said he could look at her from across the room and just know what she was thinking. The relationship between Aaron and John was forced to slow down to Laura's relief after John had graduated from high school because he had actually enlisted in the United States Marine Corps and was shipping off to boot camp. Aaron and John's communication took sort of a trip back in time while they were actually limited to letter writing. So back in 2012, that's very different for an 18 and 19 year old to 
just communicate with letters Um, because the internet's really (laughs) struck it, struck it at this point. The internet was booming at this time. (laughs) It's very booming. Yes. Facebook's been around for several years at this point. So yeah, that's totally different. But I remember several of my friends who had boyfriends in the military. That's just how you had to communicate with them and very sweet. And, you know, everybody kept their letters and all that. Aaron's mom was grateful for the distance between the two because they could really get to know each other and deepen their relationship as friends through their letters before anything physical had taken place. While John was away, Aaron worked at a tractor supply store and continued to ride and care for her horse. John returned home from boot camp around July 4th of 2014, and he had a very big surprise for Aaron. As they were enjoying themselves at a 4th of July picnic, John slid a diamond ring down the straw of her Sprite. She did not see it, and he had to actually tell oh her to yeah, he had to actually tell her to look down so that she would notice it. Aaron immediately yelled yes over and over again. She was so excited and could not wait to start planning their wedding. She wanted something small because she really was uncomfortable being the center of attention. John wasn't able to be a big part of the planning because he had to return to training for his job in the Marines. Later, he had to disappoint Aaron because he wouldn't be able to leave his training for the wedding. So Aaron's dream wedding was not going to go off the way that she had planned for it. It has to be so heartbreaking planning a wedding and then you find out that the groom can't Yeah, the can't groom be can't there. show up. That's, yeah. that's half of it. Yeah, very heartbreaking. Every year, the Marine Corps hold the annual Marine Birthday Ball to commemorate the founding of the Continental Marines on November 10th, 1775 during the Revolutionary War. These balls are very formal ceremonial events, rich in tradition. The ceremony typically lasts about an hour, and that includes the presentation of the colors or flags, a special cake cutting ceremony by the oldest and youngest Marine present, which is um, they cut the cake with a sword, and there's speeches and the reading of General John A. Lejeune's birthday message. And a birthday message by the current command. John and Aaron attended a Marine ball in Las Vegas. Since they were both in formal attire, he was in his dress blues and she was in a beautiful navy blue gown. They decided, since they were in Vegas, that they should just elope. So they found a chapel on the Vegas Strip and got married. It certainly wasn't the wedding that Aaron had dreamed of, as it was just the two of them with no friends and family. But they really wanted to be married and they were happy to do it that way. After the surprise wedding, John was shipped out to Japan on his first deployment and Aaron went back to her family in Oak Ridge. Erin was about to experience the roller coaster that is the life of a military wife. Her friends and family said that they didn't really think Erin knew what she was getting into at this point. The life of a military wife is very hard and often very lonely. And knowing that Erin needed to grow up and get used to being alone, her mom, Lore, moved her into a condo that was owned by her brother. At least this way, Erin could get used to living on her own, paying her own bills, and caring for a house with the security of her family nearby for help and support. Her mom knew that that support and security would not always be there. While Erin was lonely, at least she was around family and friends and her beloved horses, but she didn't know the difficulty of what her new husband, John, was enduring. The day-to-day rigors of Marine life on deployment was hardening John. The suck-it-up mentality of the Marine Corps was eroding his sweet and loving nature. John locked his feelings away even more than before, and his inability to express his true feelings would be a constant struggle for Erin in their marriage. And we're going to get into the rest of the story after a quick word from this week's sponsors. Life comes at you fast, but when you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will you fit it into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered and at times that are convenient for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. 
Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms. Did you know the average person lives to be around 75 years old and sleeps around 25 years of that? Thanks to my kids, I'm averaging closer to 8 to 10 years, so I really need to make my sleep count. My husband is a hot sleeper, and I sleep covered in layers of clothing and socks. Sleep cardigan, anyone? It's all fine and dandy until I wake up hot, throwing my socks off. That's where Eucalypso Home comes in. Eucalypso Home sheets are naturally temperature-regulating and are three times more breathable than cotton, making everyone sleep top-notch. Eucalypso Home actually sent us each some pillowcases, and no kidding, it was like always sleeping on the cool side of the pillow. My husband loves good quality sheets, and he's sort of a sleep snob, so I was actually surprised at what a big difference a picky person like himself found with them. Did you know that cotton traps sweat and bacteria? So while Melissa is over there sleeping in a cocoon, she's actually trapping sweat and bacteria in her sleeping sanctuary. This creates the perfect breeding ground for acne. Eucalypso Home sheets are hypoallergenic, meaning they pamper your skin while you sleep. They are perfectly gentle for sensitive and acne-prone skin. All this translates to less breakouts, less odor, and more importantly, less laundry. Eucalypso home sheets are ultra-soft sheets made from 100% organic eucalyptus fibers that are sustainably milled in Austria in small batches. 99.9% of materials are recycled and reused in their production process, helping to protect the environment. Eucalypso home sheets are the most eco-friendly sheets on the market. When you go to eucalyptsohome.com, that's E-U-C-A-L-Y-P-S-O-H-O-M-E.com and use promo code MOMS, you can take 15% off with free shipping on your entire purchase. Again, for 15% off plus free shipping, go to E-U-C-A-L-Y-P-S-O-H-O-M-E.com and use our code MOMS today. And now back to the episode. So it was a whole year before John and Aaron would actually move to the Marine base in 29 Palms. They moved into an apartment on base surrounded by other young Marine couples. John and Aaron quickly became close to two other couples named Connor and Asling Maliki and Chris and Nicole Lee. They had formed their own little Marine family. Asling became Aaron's best friend at 29 Palms. Both of the other couples each had a young child and Aaron loved to babysit for her friends and longed for a baby of her own. Since 29 Palms is so remote, many of the Marine wives hung out at a horse rescue that was about 30 minutes away from the base. The owner, Isabella Megley, had a program where you could sponsor a horse for about $100 per month, and you could have access to ride it anytime you wanted. You were also responsible for caring for and feeding your sponsored horse. Erin's new friend, Nicole Lee, introduced her to Isabella and the horse rescue. The new friends quickly bonded over their love of horses and became very close. Nicole and her husband, Chris, were originally from Anchorage, Alaska. They had a young daughter named Liberty. Chris and Nicole had been in love since they were 16 years old. Being a little older, Nicole took Aaron under her wing and helped her adjust to this strange new life being the wife of a Marine. Chris Lee had returned from a deployment in the Middle East not long before Aaron and John had arrived on base. Like many Marines returning from a combat deployment, Chris struggled with post-traumatic stress and depression. In efforts to help her husband cope with his sadness, Nicole took Chris to the horse rescue to ride. Chris also made himself useful to Isabella by fixing fences and doing other odd jobs around the barn. Equine therapy is currently being studied in the effects of veterans with PTSD. The common theory is that human connections are difficult when struggling with PTSD, but caring for and establishing a bond of trust and confidence with a horse can over time build a bridge to building trust again with humans. Chris, Nicole, and Aaron were going to the barn often. John would usually go with them, but he would go off and shoot guns or ride four-wheelers in the nearby desert because horses just really weren't his thing. A few months after moving to 29 Palms, Aaron found out that she and John were expecting a baby. Aaron, of course, was over the moon and was very excited to tell everybody and announced her pregnancy immediately on Facebook. John was a bit more nervous about the pregnancy. He knew that babies were expensive and they were experiencing a little bit of financial struggles at this time. Aaron's parents had actually given them the money set aside for their wedding and they were to use it for moving expenses and they set up their new home and hopefully were to put the rest into savings. Unfortunately, Aaron and John weren't the greatest at managing their money and they quickly blew through it buying things like clothes, makeup and decorations for their house. They also bought a sand rail for John, which is a 
kind of like a dune buggy. When the money was gone, they started running up debt on their credit cards. Sadly, Erin miscarried not long after they announced the pregnancy, and she was absolutely devastated. In her grief, she grew increasingly frustrated with John for not openly expressing his own feelings. She started to resent him, not feeling like he cared that much. In fact, John was very sad about the baby, but the years of pushing down his emotions did not allow him to show it. Nicole could empathize with Erin having had her own miscarriage while Chris was on deployment. Having two people in her life consumed with sadness, Nicole grew tired of emotionally supporting them, so she encouraged the two of them to ride together and to become friends with each other so they could help each other through these difficult times. Isabella found the relationship between Aaron and Chris a little strange and worried that they were getting too close. When she brought her concerns up to Nicole, Nicole brushed it off and sort of kind of just didn't want to deal with it or have to think about it. Aaron and Chris had really bonded in their sadness and found comfort in each other's company. They were the only emotional supports that the other had, and they both felt a degree of rejection from their spouses and their grieving. As the three couples gathered to watch The Walking Dead together one night, Aaron and Chris opted to play video games in the bedroom instead. Aaron didn't like the graphic nature of The Walking Dead, and Chris had missed a few episodes and wanted to catch up before watching the most current one. So while they were in the bedroom, Chris kissed Aaron for the first time. This was the beginning of a full-blown affair between the two of them. Aaron's friend, Aslink, caught the two of them kissing on the couch after all three couples had gathered at her apartment on Valentine's Day to watch Moulin Rouge. Somehow, Chris and Aaron were the only two left in the apartment after everyone else had gone to bed. Aslink was shocked and didn't know what to do. She knew she had to talk to both of them, so the next day she approached Chris first, and she told him that he had to stop this or he would lose everything. She begged him to think of what he'd be throwing away if any of this came out. Asling promised not to tell Nicole, and she didn't feel that it was her place to do so, but she warned him again that he needed to end this relationship that he was having with Aaron. She asked Aaron to go for a walk with her to talk about it. She expressed that she understood that Aaron was sad and that she was lonely and everything would be okay if she and Chris stopped their affair before anything really serious happened. Asling was unsure whether or not at this time the affair was sexual in nature. She promised not to tell John or Nicole, but they she told him that they really needed to stop. And one of the reasons this was such a big deal to her is because adultery in the military is actually a criminal offense under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And I think a lot of people don't know, like don't realize that, that people in the military, they will actually, you can actually get into a lot of trouble if you are caught having an affair and you're in the military. Right. It's a lot different than when you're just a civilian and it's, you know, it's illegal technically, but they don't. It does happen, but they don't really prosecute it. There was something in North Carolina, I want to say last year, where somebody tried to sue like their boyfriend's or their husband's girlfriend or something. Do you remember that? It was it was kind of a yeah. crazy story. So you you can do it, but it happens. It seems to be used more in the military and they seem to be more strict about it than in the civilian world. Right. So adultery is not always prosecuted, as you just said, unless there is definitive proof, but it is still treated very seriously in the military community. Both Aaron and Chris promised Asling that the affair was over. However, that was not the case. One night, Chris and Nicole got into a kind of an argument, and it was completely unrelated to Aaron, but Nicole stole the memory card out of Chris's phone after he went to sleep. She put the card into her own phone and began going through all of his text messages and pictures and everything that he had been sending back and forth to Aaron. Nicole got very upset and she woke Chris up screaming at him. And his her solution to this problem was to take away Chris's phone and just to not let him use it unless he was right there in her presence. So she was watching her husband like a hawk, and she even asked Asling if she would come watch Chris for her while she had to run an errand because he needed to use his phone and she needed someone to watch him. Asling refused to do so, saying that this was absolutely ridiculous and that she had her own child to watch, so she wasn't going to come over and watch this woman's husband. So through this exchange, Nicole found out that Asling had known about the affair and hadn't told her. And of course, she was furious. But Asling stuck to her guns and insisted that it was not her place to tell her. Despite the strain between the couples, they gathered with more friends for a cookout not long after Nicole and Asling's fight. As John was helping prepare food, Aaron was actually at home that night. A drunken Nicole decided that was the best time to tell John about the affair between Aaron and her husband. John brushed it off at first, but Nicole persisted to unleash all the details to the entire gathering. 
So John asked Asling to go find Aaron. As Asling clued Aaron into what Nicole had done, she practically had to drag Aaron downstairs for this conversation. When Nicole saw Aaron, she lunged at her, screaming obscenities and trying to attack her. Aaron ran back upstairs, where she was terrified, and John followed but asked Asling to come with him as sort of a witness because he knew Aaron couldn't lie to him. He wanted her to corroborate everything Aaron told him. Asling had to be there for two hours while they talked. After that, the friendships between all the couples were over. And one thing I thought about this is you have to remember in this story, everyone is really young. You're really, really young. These are marriages. Like, this isn't boyfriend-girlfriend stuff. You know, like, when you're very, very young, early teenager. Didn't have that with me. But, you know, like a teenage relationship. This They're teenagers. A lot of them are teenagers, but they're married. Like, this is... This is a big, big deal, but sometimes our coping mechanisms maybe at that age like are different than they are now, right? Like you, you right. did things differently when you're a teenager than you do in your 30s. That's just how it is. So the way they responded, like the first time I heard about this story, I was like, that's kind of strange. But then when you think like, oh, when you're younger, you just do things differently. Yeah. After that, the friendships between all three couples was over. So John and Aaron agreed to work on their marriage, although it wasn't clear if they actually sought counseling. Despite their efforts, the emotional divide between Aaron and John only seemed to grow wider. Nicole and Chris, however, did go to therapy in efforts to save their marriage. Chris was nearing the end of his military contract and had plans to move back to Alaska with Nicole and Liberty. Nicole figured that they could work through this since they wouldn't have to be in California much longer. In June of 2014, Aaron and John got a surprise. Aaron was actually pregnant again. Although this pregnancy was different for Erin, there was no Facebook announcement, no telling her friends, and she actually hadn't even told her mom yet. With everything that had been going on, Erin was really looking forward to her mom finally visiting her in California. Erin was planning an amazing vacation for the two of them in San Diego, which was only a few hours away. Erin had planned to take her mom to SeaWorld and the San Diego Zoo, and it would also be a chance for Erin to get away from the tensions at home and the blistering summer heat that could be upwards of 115 degrees Fahrenheit. On Saturday, June 28, 2014, at around 7 a.m., Aaron kissed John goodbye and told him that she was going to go for a hike in the Joshua Tree National Park. Aaron would not return from this trip. John was frantic and was calling her phone throughout the night, but true to his nature, he didn't tell anyone around the apartment complex. If I remember correctly, I saw this on Dateline a few years ago, and I honestly could not even watch it again because the story is really heartbreaking. But if I remember correctly, he said that he was always told you have to wait 24 hours to say a missing person is missing. So in his mind, he did not call the police right away because he thought they wouldn't even listen for the first 24 hours. Now, I think in like the 80s and stuff, that was true. And we know crime people know now, like you just call right away. But he truly believed they would not even do anything for 24 hours. So he was calling friends. He was calling family. He was doing everything that he really, you know, thought he could, I guess. But he did not um, contact the police right away. And there is so much more to this story. And we're going to get back into this after a quick word from this week's sponsors. I have a bit of a confession to make. Since I started Instacart, I have stopped going to the grocery store. And I mean that very seriously. Melissa and I text each other now anytime either one of us goes and uses the Instacart app. And the conversation this week went something like this. My groceries will be here in just a little bit. Did you know that you can order public subs with Instacart? Why didn't you tell me this? It's true. We are both obsessed with Instacart and public subs. And for good reason. With Instacart, your groceries are delivered in as little as one hour or at a time that works for your schedule. Plus, you can use exclusive coupons and save money on pantry staples. Instacart is available at your favorite stores and are delivered from local and national retailers. The best part is there is no waiting in line, dragging your kids to the store, or just peopling. You can go on the Instacart app or head to instacart.com and start shopping for the groceries you need. Your Instacart shopper gathers your groceries with care by selecting excellent produce and your shopper will contact you when it's necessary. Your items will be packed so that your hot items stay hot and your cold items stay cold. Try Instacart and get $10 off your first order. To get this limited time offer, go to instacart.com or download the mobile app and enter our promo code MOMS10 at checkout. That's $10 off your first order today at instacart.com or through the mobile app. And don't forget to enter our code MOMS10, instacart.com or through the mobile app with our codes MOMS10 at checkout. <laughs> 
You know that thing where we all panic at the end of the year about things that get done and then we get into the new year and realize it's just as busy and life never stops and what was I even worrying about in November because March is literally on fire. Life moves so fast even when February was basically a short blink in time. Modern life isn't simple, a modern home can be. All Modern is an online-only destination for everything modern. The best part is it's priced for real life. Now that we've been living with our new TV stand from All Modern for several weeks, I can truly rave about the amazing quality. I'm always hesitant to purchase any white pieces of furniture that will easily show dirty fingerprints and chocolate stains because my kids never fail to make me say, this is why we can't have white things. But my new TV stand from All Modern has been easy to wipe clean at the end of a long, long day. If white things aren't for you, don't worry. All Modern has a wide selection of styles from mid-century to Scandinavian. You're sure to find something that suits your budget and your needs. The process to pick out my beautiful new white TV stand was easy like Sunday morning. So I went back and found an amazing modern torchier floor lamp with Edison bulbs to complement it. I just selected a few specific search filters and within seconds I was matched with exactly what I was looking for. And the super fast free shipping meant that I could have it in my living room in just a few days. We've all found a beautiful piece of furniture on Instagram, stopped scrolling long enough to check out the store it's from, closed our eyes, and held our breath waiting for the price. You can find that same sofa or coffee table you love on Instagram, but for way less, and you can get it fast. It's so simple to shop. You can browse at home or while you're sitting in the car pickup line at school, and you can find it easy and get it quick. All modern. The style you love, the prices you want, when you want it. It's that simple. Go to allmodern.com slash moms and use promo code moms for 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's allmodern.com slash moms and then use promo code moms. And now back to the episode. So at this point in the story, we have Erin who has gone for a hike in Joshua Tree National Park, and she did not return from this trip. So her husband, John, has been calling her phone, trying to get a hold of her. But as Melissa said in the before we took the break, he did not contact police. So he at this point is calling family and friends, but he has not called the police. He did, however, call Aaron's mom, Lore, and she, of course, was very worried that her daughter was lost somewhere in the desert. She described Aaron as very directionally challenged and also found it a little strange that Aaron would even go off hiking on her own at all. She didn't think that sounded like her daughter, really. She immediately got on a plane and flew to California. John finally contacted police the next day when Aaron still had not returned home. Police wasted no time starting their search for Aaron. A pregnant woman lost hiking in temperatures that were well over 100 degrees was definitely of their top priority. They started by canvassing an apartment complex, trying to gather some clues from neighbors to exactly where she may have gone. The first person they saw and talked to was Chris. He was very aloof and said that he didn't really know Erin that well, and he couldn't remember the last time he had even seen her. While the detectives were questioning neighbors, they had investigators trying to track down the location of her cell phone. It had pinged in a mining district outside of Joshua Tree over two hours away. This area was 2,000 square miles and full of abandoned mine shafts. As police questioned Asley and Connor Malachy, the affair between Aaron and Chris was revealed. Connor told police that Chris had gone to the desert that morning for one last adventure before he got out of the Marines and moved back to Alaska. In Chris's Jeep, Connor noticed that he had a propane tank in the back. When he asked why, he said that Chris explained to him that he was going to go have some fun and blow stuff up. He told Connor that he and another friend, Joseph, had gone out to the desert for a few days before and scouted a few places and took a bunch of pictures, which were all on Joseph's cell phone, of a bunch of rattlesnakes and mine shafts. Alarm bells started going off for the detectives because now they know that they have a 19-year-old pregnant woman that is missing in the scorching desert, and she's been missing for an entire day before the husband has reported her missing. They have this neighbor who claims that he doesn't know her, but actually they've come to find out was having an affair with her, and he was also known to, or he was allegedly at the desert that same morning. The police pretty much suspected that there was foul play involved at this point. They certainly suspected Chris, but they also suspected John. While the police worked to gather evidence around the apartment complex, their priority at that moment was finding Aaron. They assembled a search team and headed to the area that her cell phone was last pinged. And Detective John Norman was the leader of the search team that knew this particular area and knew that it was riddled with these mine shafts. 
They would search every mine shaft for several weeks, each one ending in disappointment. Detectives did finally catch a break, however, when someone had seen Aaron's car parked about five miles from the entrance to Joshua Tree National Park. When the detectives looked at the car, they noticed tire tracks right next to it. When hearing about the car, Aaron's mom, Lore, was sure that something terrible had happened and that she felt Aaron was no longer alive. Detectives really started focusing on Chris as their prime suspect. They had received more information about Chris and Aaron's relationship from a source very far away from California. Aaron's best friend from Tennessee named Jesse had been in constant contact with Aaron ever since she first moved out to California. She gave detectives details on how the affair between them had never stopped. Aaron believed the baby she was carrying was actually Chris's and that Chris had planned a big surprise for Aaron the Saturday she went missing. The plan was that they would drive to a certain spot separately and then she would leave her car and get in his Jeep and he would take her to the surprise. Jesse was very excited for Aaron and asked if Chris might propose and Aaron's answer to her was maybe. Police brought Chris in for interrogation. And this is the story that he told. He said that he decided to take one last trip out to the desert to hunt coyotes and, quote, blow stuff up. So on his way out to the desert, he saw Aaron's car and he pulled up alongside it. But she wasn't in it, so he says that he just kept going. He insisted that he did not know where she had gone and that he had nothing to do with any of this about her disappearance. Chris did hand his phone over to the detectives for uh, a search, and he did admit that they would find all the texts from Aaron about the affair and that they would find some internet searches that maybe would look suspicious. Without pressing him too hard about this, Chris explained that some of the buddies in his unit were just talking one day about how to best get rid of a body. The detectives totally played along and asked, oh, well, what did you find out? And Chris said, pigs. Pigs will eat every part of a human body, bones and all. The detectives interrogated Chris for five hours trying to get him to confess. Despite the enormous amount of circumstantial evidence mounting against Chris, they didn't have a body, so they couldn't definitely prove how Aaron would have been killed, where she was killed, or by who. So they had to let Chris go. On July 7th, 2014, Chris was honorably discharged from the United States Marine Corps, and he and his family moved back to Anchorage, Alaska. After eight weeks of searching, detectives were no closer to finding Aaron than, on, than they were on day one. The search of the desert was brutally hot, even at night when temperatures were still well into the hundreds. Vehicles would actually break down as a result of this heat, and in some places it was so rugged that they had to go on foot. You have to give it to these police officers and stuff, this, these search teams, because this was not an easy search at all. Yeah. Because abandoned mines are so dangerous and unstable, searchers fix a camera to a bucket and would lower someone down part of the way. And then that person on the rope would actually lower the bucket camera down to the bottom to see the bottom of the shaft. And this sounds a little like what they did. We've talked about the podcast cold before um, when they were looking for Susan, they, they had like mine experts out there because a layman just does not know how to get, you know, how to do this. It's incredibly dangerous. So mine after mine came up with nothing, and searchers were really losing hope of ever finding Aaron. It was decided that August 16th would be the last day of the search. In a last-ditch effort, John Norman called upon the resident mine expert, Doug Billings. Not only was Billings a mine expert, his specialty was actually these mines. He had mapped most of them personally. So if there was anyone that could find Aaron, if she was in these mines, it would be him. Detective Norman showed Billings the pictures of the mine shaft that Chris had taken from Joseph's phone and Billings did not even need a map. He knew exactly where this mine was. And on the last day of the search at 4:30 PM, the group searched the very last mine on the list. Upon initial inspection of the mine from up above, searchers saw something shiny at the bottom of the mine and they smelled gasoline. The bucket camera was lowered down and it came back with a very disturbing image. There was a bullet casing and that was what the shiny object was. And there was also a propane tank, and that was laying next to the body of a badly decomposed person. Aaron's body had been found. It was a somber and careful process to extract Aaron's body from the mine, and she had to ultimately be identified through dental records. It took searchers over 5,000 hours to find Aaron, and everyone involved in this was deeply, deeply affected. 30 minutes after Aaron's body was positively identified, Christopher Lee was arrested in Alaska on first-degree murder charges and was extradited back to California to stand trial. Chris initially pleaded not guilty, but later through the trial, he admitted that he did do it. 
Chris said that he killed Aaron because he says, and this is one of the things that upsets me the most in this entire thing. He said that Aaron confessed to molesting his daughter when, I guess, when she was babysitting him. And Chris snapped and strangled her with a homemade garrote, tossed her headfirst down the 140-foot mine shaft, threw in the propane tank, and tossed in a lit torch. Like, to not only do this as somebody, which... This whole story is just so incredibly upsetting and disturbing that someone would do this to another person. Um, But then to make up these lies, to say that she did these things, like to cover for yourself, like that's so, I can't understand, I can't understand any of it. Luckily, the jury did not believe the story of the molestation for one second. They were convinced that Chris had planned out the murder to get rid of Aaron by the evidence provided and by the testimony of Chris's friend, Joseph. It was theorized that Chris was afraid once Nicole found out that Aaron was pregnant with his baby, she would ruin his life and never let him see his daughter again. Christopher Brandon Lee was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Laura was satisfied with Chris receiving a life sentence. She said, and I quote, With the death penalty, they're guaranteed multiple appeals, and I don't want to have to go through this any more than we've already gone through. Chris did eventually seek an appeal for a new trial for a possible overturn of his conviction or a shortened sentence. He believed that if the jury believed he killed Corwin because he was provoked into a rage, then they could have found him guilty of second-degree murder, a charge that would have given him a shorter sentence. In August of 2018, Chris was denied a new trial and his life sentence was upheld. Our researcher, Mary Jane, actually had the privilege of speaking to Laura Hevelin, who was Aaron's mother, and she wanted to include this statement at the end of the story. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't think of Aaron. I realized to get through this, I had to focus on the good, no matter how small that is, and not dwell on the bad. One of the most important things for me to do was to forgive Chris, because being bitter wasn't hurting him at all. It was just going to destroy me. I refused to give him my heart, mind, and soul. That is incredibly powerful that somebody that's lost so much was is able to forgive. That's yes. And it's so true. Like that's that's like the you know, that's the part of the story that, you know, it's it is really touching to be able to hear that she was able to find that forgiveness and you know, you never get over something like this. Like it's just you're not going to. But I always love it whenever there's forgiveness in a story. And it's like she said, it's not hurting him. For her to have these like feelings, it's it's only going to tear her down. So I'm very happy that she was able to find that forgiveness. For sure. And there is a book called Secrets of a Marine's Wife by Shanna Hogan that goes in depth on this case. And there's also a podcast that we found out that is a long form of this. And it's called Case Closed if you guys want to check those out. And we'll, of course, have all of our sources linked into the show notes this week. There's a dateline on this. It is really hard to watch. Um, but you've heard the story, but the family, the people that are in this, um, they were really touching in this story and it's, it was, I thought it was really well done. All right, guys, thank you for listening to this week's episode. As usual, before we get out of here for the week, we're going to do a couple of last thing before we go questions and Melissa actually picked them this week. So I am super excited to hear what she picked. Are you? I am. So if you are new with our show, last thing before we go, it's just a couple questions we ask that we take from listeners just to kind of end the show with something happy and a little bit lighter. The first one I chose, Mandy, was from our Facebook group. And this is by Sarah E. And I love this question because I have a very specific answer. Name something you did not like about your significant other when you first met them. (laughs) Uh, You can go first. So I met my husband. I'm pretty sure I said I met him online. If not, confession time, I met my husband online 15 years ago. So and on like a dating app, but there weren't really apps. So I met him in an Outback parking lot, which should tell you a lot about me. And I drove up and I like wasn't going to park directly next to him, even though I knew what his vehicle was. Um, But he was like playing drums on his uh, steering wheel. And... One of the most annoying people I've ever met in my entire life does that all the time. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> so even before I met him, I saw him doing that. And like now I realize he's just like a fidgety person and he's super musically inclined. But when I saw that, I was like, I honestly almost called my mom was like, I'm out of here. I wasn't even going to actually meet him, which is so terrible. And my poor kids wouldn't be here and my life wouldn't be so rich and happy and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I love that story just because that's so sad and totally my husband to do that like it still drives me crazy when he does it to be totally honest I've never gotten over that 
So <laughs> I'm going to make everybody want to punch me. Oh, but. gosh. No, none of these sappy things. I swear to you, Mandy, I'm going to start writing a Mandy sappy list and I'm just going to cross them all off. Go ahead. What do you got? Yeah. No, I can't really think of anything that I didn't like about him when I first met him. So we actually met at Red Lobster. We both worked there and I was just smitten with him the second I saw him. And honestly, it was one of those situations where like, there's nothing you can do that I don't like. I like every a single annoying habit about you. So I can't really pinpoint anything that I didn't like about him in the beginning. Can we answer the question about what we're Currently, like go ahead. I got a list on that too. Go ahead. And it's not even not like it. I'm not bashing my husband. You're not bashing your husband. We're just being silly and letting these things out. No, my husband is awesome and wonderful and everything. But he has like the typical man habits that you see other wives and people complaining about. And like my husband has all of them. So I've seen lately there's like a meme going around about like, you know, our house is a disaster and we have visitors coming and I asked my husband to help me clean and he skips right past the fact that the kitchen looks like a tornado went off, but he's cleaning some like Basement random wall. hallway <laughs> closet or something. Yeah. And and I'm like, why are you organizing the closet in like the spare bedroom that nobody is going to see? And he literally will just be like, well, I'm helping and it needs to be done. And so that just irritates the crap out of me. I wouldn't have known that that irritated me in the early days, though. So it's just one of those things you find out as you go that there's irritating things. Or like me, you find out from the get go. My husband's been doing this thing lately, and it's a total battle of wills at my house where he puts the he'll leave his boxers in the bathroom, like behind the door. And just the way our door is set up, you don't really see it if you don't close the door very often, which it's our bathroom. I don't really close the door very often. But now there's like a small pile and it's a total battle of wills. Like today he was like, I don't know if you saw these here. And I was like, oh, no, I've seen them there. I'm not touching them. Like that is your problem. <laughs> and so he'll he'll just be like, well, if you do the laundry today, will you grab these? And I'm like, you know where they are and you know where the laundry is. So we love each other very much. But I will die on this hill of if you cannot put your boxers in your dirty clothes, I'm not touching them. It's just not my problem anymore. I don't care what happens. Yeah. Well, speaking of like a a bathroom related thing, so I am a really big stickler. I don't know. Do you have a shower curtain or a shower door? Shower door. Okay, you are so lucky. I want a shower door because then I would eliminate this problem. But so I get very salty when the shower curtain gets left open. I like it to be pulled shut after a shower, and then it can dry off, and then it doesn't get mildew and gross and whatever. My husband does not shut the shower curtain and it doesn't matter how many times I say, please shut the shower curtain. And so I'm like always going in there and I will make a point if he's in the room and I go in the bathroom and see the shower curtain is open, I will just like pull it shut so fast that like you can hear the all the things like sliding on the bar, you know, and like I'm like I sigh really loudly at the same time, (laughs) like, you know, but yeah, there's just annoying little habits that happen when you're married to a person when you live with somebody all the time it's just you're just going to get annoyed with them they're going to get annoyed with you I mean I don't do anything annoying but um like ever but my husband does some things and I would think he would probably lie and make up a few things because I'm basically perfect to live with there's really no issues at all (laughs) there's a reason he's not on here talking about this so my other question or the other question I liked was from Jana Janae or Jana what if it's another version? I don't know how to say it. C hyphen S in our Facebook group. And it's, what's the worst job you ever had? Did you have a really bad job? Um, if you say this one, I will just turn this whole thing off. and. <laughs> no, I love this. I love this gig. No, I haven't really had any like terrible jobs. I... My first job, I worked in an ice cream parlor. And like I've talked about that on this show before. It wasn't my favorite job. It was my first job. It wasn't my favorite. It wasn't terrible, but it was scooping ice cream for people. It sounds like it could be delicious. <laughs> well, I did. Well, okay. So my boss was kind of a stickler and like did not want us to eat the ice cream for free. Like we didn't get free ice cream. So yeah, then what's the point? Then you are just yeah, there's like zero perks. I'm literally I was literally working for like $5 an hour at that time and like not even getting free ice cream. Yeah, that one hurts No, a thank you. That's like a slap in the face too to have to give all these happy people ice cream. That would be painful. Yeah. Well, it was cool. I mean, because it, it was on the beach, you know, it was in Daytona. That's where I kind of grew up. And so it was like it was a 
cool job to have. And it was just like a little local, very well-known ice cream place there in Daytona. And it was it was okay. It, like I said, it wasn't the greatest. It wasn't the worst, but it wasn't terrible. All right. That's that's yeah, that's not so bad. Um, did I ever tell you about the time I worked for a telemarketer? My friend no. Jessica, <laughs> and I'm like the worst person to do this. She got me a job at a telemarketing place. And so I went the first day and I was really excited. And they're like, give you your scripts. And it's very nerve wracking. My hands are actually sweating just thinking about this. And you know, like auto calls people whenever you'd hang up. So you'd talk to people and like, it was fine at first because you're learning, but you know, I'm not going to sell anybody on anything. So I realized really quickly it was really, really bad for me. And so I realized that they cared about your numbers and stuff. So I would get on with people and then just talk to them for a minute. And sometimes you have like lonely older people and I would just like be like, oh, you're from wherever, blah, blah, blah. I have somebody, I know somebody from there, which sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. I just got nervous. But what I didn't know is after your first week, they come around and they would listen to your conversations. <laughs> oh. So I think it was like a credit card program or something. And on the second week, like they would come in and they would sit behind you and they could they could tune into your thing. And so I would like read the script and they would like point to the screen at the things I was missing and like really try to hard sell people. And I just couldn't do it. And that's the only job I like did not give a two week notice. I like left in tears. <laughs> I was so upset. I was devastated because I didn't want to do it to these people. But I thought like it would be a good job for some reason. I don't know. When you're young, you don't know what you're doing. So I just tried it. But I, me basically apologizing to people over and over again, and no one ever got a credit card. Thank God. So I'm not responsible for ruining anybody's life. <laughs> but I was really, really, really bad at it. And that's okay with me. Yeah, you definitely don't strike me as the telemarketer no. type. It's just me saying I'm sorry over and over again and like asking about the weather 15 times and nobody cares. Yeah. So yeah, it was very, it was very difficult for me. So that's it. I think those are a couple of good questions this week. Yeah, we yeah. talked enough. All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in and we will see you guys next week for a new episode. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.